for me, if you've noticed, last week I talked about a possible separation of my bicep, and that indeed is what happened, and on Wednesday I had surgery. And so Easter's been on my mind all week. And so I'm going in for surgery, and the doctor comes out to me, and he's like, hey, so here's the situation. Your bicep muscle is broken. It is separated from your body. I need to go in and make it whole. I need to go in and fix it. So here I am in my Easter planning mode, and I'm thinking, you know, this is like the Easter story that God looks at the world and it's like, this is separated. My people have been separated from the Father. I need to go in and I need to fix it. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He came in and he made what was broken and separated whole again. I kid you not, true story. I had anesthesia. The first words that came out of my mouth, because the doctor was saying, this is what's going to happen. We're going to go in. We're going to slice you up. It's going to be painful. You're not going to feel your arm. But the worst part will be over. Then you'll just be healed after the surgery part. And I come out of anesthesia, and I'm laying there. It's just me and the nurse. And I say this, it is finished. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I look at him, and he's like, what? I'm like, now, now I'm going to tell him I'm a pastor. It's going to get really weird. <laughs> but that's what I thought because, you know, Jesus on the cross is like, it is done, mission completed, it is finished. And that is good news. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to Luke 24. And usually I'm an animated speaker, so this is going to really hinder me. So if you see me flailing like a chicken... It's because I'm holding back. Luke 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Why? Because they were preparing for a dead body, not a live person. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, the disciples, and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the woman, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. There's the Easter story. But what God told me to say to you guys is this, is I think a lot of people are similar to the disciples here. You know, the disciples spent three years with Jesus. They saw Jesus literally a week ago raise Lazarus from the dead, as well as others from the dead in his three years. 
heal the sick, make the blind see, make the lame walk. But yet when they heard the news that Jesus had risen, they thought it was a bunch of nonsense. How many of you, when you hear the good news, when someone says he was risen, you may respond with a smile, but in the inside you think, well, that's a bunch of nonsense. I think the reality is the resurrection is a hard thing to grapple with. A man coming back from the dead? A man who claimed to be the son of God who died for us? I mean, this is a little out there, don't you think? So the disciples heard this is a bunch of nonsense. Why? Because nobody can defeat death. But isn't this the thing that we've been trying to do? My arm, when I looked at my injury, I read the Google and it said, common in middle-aged men. And at first I thought, well, I'm good. And then Kate's like, Andy, you're 41. I'm like, oh, no. It's a reminder that we are not immortal. Are you guys feeling that? Anyone over the age of 40 or 30, you young guys, it's coming. You watch. You wake up and you just realize, what happened to my body? And it's a reminder that God's saying, guess what? This body is not meant to last forever. But what we do as human beings is we try to defeat death. We do, right? This is what so many people are in the business of doing. Because you can't look at the resurrection and say, well, that's defeating death. We need to go into other means to defeat death. So I started looking into this, and one thing that I saw was a new thing called mind uploading. You guys have heard of this before? So what scientists have been trying to do is they're trying to take your mind and upload it into the cloud. Not into the clouds, but into the digital internet. And this is, there's been a ton of papers written about this, that they think if we can take the person's mind, their memories, their emotions, we can store it in a digital universe, and one day we can find a body for them, and we will be able to live with the ones that we loved in a digital AI world. And so there is already proof that they can take your brain and digitize it. They don't know what to do with this digitized information, but they have injected a, uh, a serum into the brain. The brain has to be alive, and it uploads it to the, to the digital universe, but that person will end up dying because of the upload. And there is a wait list for people to do this. Mind uploading. And what they've said is we can't really bring someone back, but we can kind of simulate that. There's an article I read that you could chat with those who've, who've died, kind of like an IM messenger. If you guys are above 30, you know what I'm talking about. You can chat with them, and they live in this digital universe, and they're saying how great it is. And I don't know where you feel about that, but for me, I'm like, I don't really think that's defeating death. I read a book. The book was called After. And it was about a psychiatrist who was in this realm of trying to figure out the brain and how it works. He was a secular psychiatrist, and so he wasn't a Christian. And what he did was he looked at people when their brains died, what happened? And what they found is that many people whose brains have died, they've come back 
you know, some of them experienced Jesus, had all these experiences. And what they said is even though the brain is dead, their consciousness is not. And so he studied this for 40 years, and his conclusion is this. There's a difference between the brain and the mind. The brain is your physical body part. Electrons fire, and it tells you how to do things and how to feel things. And so the brain is necessary. But the mind is who you are. Many scientists, if not all of, you know, esteemed scientists will say there is definitely a difference that you are more than your physical body. So the question is, if you are more than your physical body, what happens to your mind after death? This is what many people are trying to figure out. What I thought was fascinating about this book in particular, here is a non-believer doing research, and by the end of it, he says, I don't claim to be a Christian, but what I will say is, huh, there's something out there. Here's what I think. I think many of you guys have had that same feeling of, huh. I want to lean into this idea of doubt a little bit. Not doubt as we believe as like, hey, you're doubting your faith. But I think there are people here who have an unbelief, a no faith, and they may doubt that there is something there. Does that make sense? I believe there is no God, but there are times in my life where there's something that happens in my life that makes me say, huh. Maybe you're sitting here and you're trying to figure out what is all this about. Maybe you've had an experience. Maybe you've had a tragedy. Maybe you've had God speak to you. Maybe you've had some epiphany and it makes you say, huh. Well, I want to read Pilate's story in John 18, verse 37. And this is how it goes. John 18 says this, just to back it up a little bit. Jesus gets arrested for being the son of God. He gets arrested by the religious leaders. But the reality is, Rome didn't care. Rome was in charge of Israel, Judea, and Rome was in charge of all the Middle East, and they would put governors in place of different areas, um, kind of like the United States. You have a governor of each state. And Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea. And he had two jobs. One, get money, make sure people pay their taxes, and two, keep the peace. Make sure there's no riots, rebellions, but they can believe, they can do whatever they want as long as they pay money and stay calm. So that was the only job of Pontius Pilate. This is what Rome sent him to do. So then these religious leaders, they find Jesus claiming to be the son of God. They don't like this, so they get him arrested and they start making these false accusations of Jesus, saying, hey, Jesus is planning a rebellion. Jesus is claiming to be king. He's a troublemaker. And this is why Rome kind of listened. Because if they just said some kind of religious jargon, they would have been like, whatever, guys, you do what you guys do. As long as the peace is kept, you're keeping your taxes paid, I don't care. But they had to make false accusations. So here's Pilate who had to question him. Then Pilate said to him, in verse 37, John 18, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is the truth? 
After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Pilate was struggling with condemning Jesus. You see in other gospels that Pilate would go and he literally took out a basin and washed his hands and said, I am clean of this man. Do with him what you may. His blood is not on me, it's on you. Another gospel says that from that time on, he tried to set Jesus free. There's a story in Matthew 27 where Pilate's wife comes to him and says this, Have nothing to do with this righteous man, for I have suffered much for him today in a dream. If you're married, you know that your wife is way more intuitive of you than you are. They can sense when people are good or bad or right or wrong, right? You know, us guys are like, oh, okay, you know, it's even good. You know, they play basketball. It's good for me. But you got to understand, when Pilate's wife said that, he's probably thinking, man, there's something to this man. And what happens is that he gets given into his fear because the religious leaders pulled the trump card. They said, we're going to go to Caesar. Don't, 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 don't go to Big Daddy. <laughs> don't, don't do that. You can have your Messiah, but, you know, I'm innocent of his blood. And he asked this one question that I think many of you are asking. And the question is, what is the truth? You know, you think about it. There's an old Greek kind of philosopher, Protocras, who says to Socrates, he says this, what is true for you is true for you. And what is true for me is true for me. It's called relative truth. Based on your experience, your emotions, your culture, you can define what true is for you. And this is how our world, especially our country, operates. Whatever you think is true, well then let that be true. And I can disagree because I have a different truth. And we find that that causes a lot of troubles. I actually wish I could go back in time and take some of those tests I didn't do so well, those true-false tests, go to the teacher and be like, um, excuse me, I, I disagree with this because I believe this is true even though you believe it's false. Well, Andy, two plus two is four. Yeah, but I think it's five. But we have to come to an understanding that there is a universal truth, that there is a truth. And the question is, what is that? I mentioned this story years ago, I mean a couple uh, months ago, when I was a little kid, I was in seventh grade and I was learning how to play the piano. I was playing Beethoven's Sixth Symphony. Sounds really impressive, it really wasn't, it was just a couple notes. Truth be told, I didn't really practice as much as I should have, and so when I came to my teacher for my lesson, she said, well, show me what you got. I played the whole thing beautifully, but at the end, I changed the ending. And she said, Andy, you, you, you played that wrong. I said, no, 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 I didn't. Well, yes, you did. That's not what the music says. And I said, I like my way better. <laughs> and so my teacher said, so you're telling me that you know more than Beethoven himself who wrote this piece of music. Well, apparently, that's what it seems like. And don't you think that's kind of how we operate as a society? That we like to make our own truths, that we like to do our own thing. And then when someone calls us out on it, we're like, nah, you know, I like my way better. And we will even do that with God. So God, who created us, who gave us purpose, 
And we're saying, God, I disagree with what you created and how you created me to be. I'm going to do my thing my way and therefore form my truth. Jesus says this in John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, I am the truth. So here's where I want you. If you're writing notes, you can write this down. I think we believe that truth is something that we form. If I form my own truths based on my experiences and, and anything else. But the reality is if truth is not something we form, truth is something that forms us. I want to say that again. Truth is not something we form. Truth is something that forms us. Jesus says, I am the truth. We lean into that and say, Jesus, if you are the truth, show me how to live and be formed by you. But so many times we take a step back and say, you know, I'm going to take this all in on myself. And we play God and we're going to form what we believe is true. And here we see Pilate doubting his own formed truth. And for those of you who've had these experiences where you're thinking, maybe there's something more, please do not dismiss your doubt of unbelief. Because even if you make a decision to do nothing, that is a decision in itself. I can't tell you how many people over the last few years have come to Kate and I, and I've heard people come up to me and say, Andy, I hear you do not have to fear death. Tell me more. I hear that you can get through anything with the strength of Jesus. Tell me more. I see what God is doing through these people and through you. How do I have that happen? And you see these experiences. And then all of a sudden, this is the unfortunate thing, is that those, those doubts of unbelief start to fade away. And I believe that the enemy, as soon as the enemy sees someone thinking, huh, maybe there's something more to this life. The enemy's like, no, 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 no. You, you got it all figured out. Keep forming your truth. You can do this. It's just about money. It's just about success. It's just about athletics, academics. You can do this. And you start drifting away from those thoughts. What if Pilate were to give in to those doubts and say, you know what? I'm not just going to make no decision. I'm going to make a decision. Because I think Pilate thinks, you know, I admire Jesus. Jesus is a good guy. And I think so many people think that. But there's a difference between admiring Jesus and following Jesus. And many of us choose not to follow Jesus based on our fear. A fear of what we have to give up. A fear of where he will take us. And so therefore... We choose to sit on the sidelines and say, you know what, Jesus was a good guy. I don't find any fault in him. And that is a decision not to follow him. I love in Mark chapter 15, this is when Jesus is on the cross. And he says this in Aramaic. He says, Eloi, Eloi, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what he's saying is this. He's quoting Psalm 22, which kind of shows the whole crucifixion in great detail. It's a prophecy fulfilled. But the guards, in verse 35, when them, some of those standing near this, they said, listen, he's calling to Elijah. 
See, they didn't understand what Jesus was saying. You know, it sounded like Elijah, so they thought, well, obviously he's calling to this prophet. These were Roman soldiers, so they didn't really understand scripture, but they've heard the name Elijah. He's a bigwig. They live in Jerusalem. They know the Old Testament prophets. They know Elijah and Moses. So they're thinking, well, he's Jewish, so he must be crying out to Elijah. And here's the thing. They don't understand what Jesus was saying. Are you operating on a false understanding of Jesus that keeps you from following him? And I think this is so true of today's society that we will base our opinion on Jesus on other people and not on Jesus himself. I love what Andy Stanley says, a pastor down south, and he says, even if you don't believe Christianity is true. So if you're in the camp that says, this is a bunch of nonsense, doesn't make sense that a man would rise from the dead, that God would send his son, this is a bunch of nonsense, even if you believe that, you should want to believe that. Because it's good news. If you don't want Christianity to be true, then you have a false understanding of who Jesus is. Jesus was full of love, compassion, grace, judgment-free, love more than anyone could ever love. He said, I've come to serve, not to be served. I came to give my life so you would have life. He washes the feet of his disciples. Jesus is love. Jesus is not who you think he, many people think he is. So if you say, I don't believe in any of this, I get it, it's hard to believe, but you should want it to be true because it means eternal life and life on this earth to the full. It's good news. So if you're in the camp, I don't want, I don't want to believe any of this because you have a false understanding. Well, I challenge you to read the book of John. Just open up John. You don't have to tell anyone, just do it by yourself. And you tell me the Jesus you read about. You tell me the Jesus you read about is the Jesus you thought you knew. And then I was looking at this word Greek, uh, truth. This word truth in Greek actually means to unhide or to hide nothing. I think so many of us are searching for truth like Pilate, but we don't seem to find it, so we form it ourselves. The reality is this. I think we're looking in the wrong place. We go back to what the angels said to the women. They said, why are you searching for the dead among the living? He's not here. And so many people are searching for a dead Jesus. A Jesus that just exists in scriptures. A Jesus that was and not a Jesus that is. And here's my challenge for you. Ask Jesus to reveal himself to you. Start listening to his voice. And I think that you will be surprised by what Jesus does. Because Jesus is alive. He's not was. He is. And I believe so many of us are searching for a dead Jesus instead of a living Jesus. We're searching in the wrong places. And then Pilate this is what Jesus said to Pilate in John 18, verse 37. He said, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Two weeks ago in the Fireside Kid program in the gym, I had our two-year-old Drew. 
And so I had Drew for the first two songs. Kate was in the kids. And so I went to go preach. So I dropped Kate off. Kate was teaching the kids. I ran back. And from what I heard, we lost Drew. Gone. So they're looking for him. And as Kate's with the little kids, she hears a voice. She hears a little baby crying. If you've noticed, if you just keep quiet for a little bit, you'll probably hear a lot of babies crying. But she not only heard it, but she recognized that it was her son. She stopped everything because at the time she thought Drew was with me. So there's no reason why Drew would be crying. And she's like, wait a minute, I hear a baby and that is my son. And so then she went on an all out search for Drew. Couldn't find him. Searched the whole school. Finally, someone said, I saw him in the corner. Come to find out he went under the bleachers and got all the way to half court. Got stuck in the bleachers. I asked Emmy about this, and Emmy's little group was meeting on the bleachers. I said, Emmy, I heard Drew got stuck under the bleachers. And she said, that was Drew? We thought we heard a baby under there. <laughs> and the point is this, is that Kate knew the voice of her child. And when Kate called out to Drew, he perked up, and he knew the voice of his mother. Do you know the voice of your father? John 10 says that God is a good shepherd and his sheep know his voice. You may be sitting there and saying, well, I only listen to my own voice. I only follow what I want to follow. The reality is you are all listening to something and you are all following someone or something. The question is, what are you listening and following? You can't tell me, oh, I do my own thing. Yeah, but you are following and you are listening to something of this world. I read a story a couple of days ago. These shepherds were in eastern Turkey and they were having breakfast and they heard about a, I heard a sheep cry. They ran out and they saw that one of their sheep jumped off a 40-foot cliff and died. Soon after, 1,500 sheep followed and fell off the cliff. Good news is only 500 died because the last 1,000 just landed on a woolly cushioned surface. Are you following the wrong voice that will lead you to death? It's a question you've got to ask yourself. Are you like the sheep where you say, well, they're doing it, so I'm just going to go and do it myself? I love what the pastor Craig Rochelle is. He's the one who invented the Bible app, and he says this. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And this is what we think Christianity is, is that God just came, he just wants us to be good. And when we read scripture, he said, no, I want you to be alive. On this earth and with me forever. I can't tell you what Easter means for me and Kate. Every season of Easter, the last five years, we've had some pretty bad news. Ellie relapsed twice on Easter. Ellie was diagnosed on Easter. Ellie passed away last year, and for me, it was trying to figure out, God, like, on Easter? I mentioned this story last year, I believe, but I remember the first week she was in the hospital, she wanted to do an Easter egg hunt, and she's 
pulling her pole, and I remember her trying to hide eggs for me and Kate. And we go in, and her little tethered little tube got caught. And she said, all right, Dad, help me out, but you got to leave. i got to continue hiding these eggs. And to be honest with you, there was a time where Easter was ruined for me. Because Easter represented death and represented loss. These past two weeks have been a lot for our church. There's been a lot of loss and tragedy in our church through many of you. And when Easter comes, I kind of would dread it a little bit. I don't, maybe we can just skip it this year. We don't have to do the Easter thing. But you're a pastor. This is a big day for you. Yeah, but. But then when I think about it, when you think about spring, and I love that Easter's in spring. I, I sometimes I'll walk my land. I don't have a big plot of land. It literally takes like 10 seconds. And Kate will be like, what are you doing? I'm walking the land like I'm a farmer. But I'll see what's going on. And I, I'm always amazed, like, there is just no way that this dead twig in a month will be filled with flowers. You ever think that? You ever look at your yard in March and you look about how gross it is? It's just filled with dead twigs and just dead stuff. And you're like, are you serious? I mean, six months ago, this was bursting with life. And then, first comes the crocus. We have one right by our chimney. It comes every year. We look and we're like, man, how did you get there? And in the middle of everything that seems to be dead, there's little life. And then all of a sudden, everything else starts popping. The daffodils start popping. And I think this is so intentional that Easter's on spring because Jesus is saying, no, I did not come to bring, make good people, bad people good, but I came to make dead people alive. Look at all these things that you thought were dead and look how they will come back to life. I mean, that's good news. And so for me, I start changing my perspective. So now, Easter is the most important thing in my life because it represents the defeat of death itself. It represents life, resurrection. Jesus defeated death so that we may defeat death as well. And so with this mindset, I'm thankful for this season of when all that happened because it's a reminder that Jesus came to save. I want the band to come up and I want to close with this. If you are here and you are dismissing your doubt of your unbelief, thinking maybe there's something more than I thought there was, would you just pray? Would you just come before the Lord by yourself tonight? Would you read, start reading the Gospel of John? Because we can debate, did it happen or not? The proof is not in the information. The proof is in the transformation. Going back to that first book, people who had these experiences, they would physically die. They'd come back, and the guy said, I don't know what to make of it, but what I found is 90% of people who have these experiences completely changed how they lived their life for the good. Something happened. If you look at the Easter story, these disciples who scattered, who fled. Peter, who says, I don't know this man. I don't know him three times. They run away. 
Where the ones leading the church, something happened. You can't deny that. That now there are billions of Christians around the world based on this one event. It's not based on a lie. Does it make sense? Some people would die for someone else's lie, but they wouldn't die for a lie they made up. Something happened. And Jesus comes and he's transformed. They didn't believe when they heard the information. They doubted. But when they experienced Jesus, they became transformed. So would you invite Jesus to transform you? Would you stop forming your own truth and start being formed by the truth in Jesus Christ? And would you live life knowing that you have been given life to live to the full? It will change you for the good. Don't dismiss your doubts. Don't ignore his voice. Lean into it. Don't be afraid. God created you. He knows you. He's the author of creation. So as we celebrate Easter, we celebrate life has come. He has resurrected, paving the way for our resurrection. And he says, the last thing he told his disciples is, I am with you. He's with us. Lord, we thank you for Easter, Jesus. In the midst of hardness and midst of tragedy and midst of loss, Lord, God, we are broken people as evidence of my arm, Jesus. Outside and on the inside, Lord, would you form us, God? Would you form us to be like you, to live for you? Jesus, would you give us the boldness to make the decision to follow you instead of being on the sidelines admiring you, God? And when you speak to us, let us not dismiss it, but lean into it, Jesus. Lord, transform us. Lord, we love you. We are so great for the gift that you've given us. God, you came into this world for us. With your eyes closed, would you say, Jesus came in for me in your head. Say your name. He knows your name. He's given you life. You don't have to earn it. You just need to receive it. Lord, you are a God of love. So we celebrate Easter.